to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. Hello, Rebels. Well, on the Wellbeing Rebellion today, we have a really special guest for me, Claire Harrison. Claire is head of people at Burnett's, which is a northern law firm with offices situated in Cumbria and Newcastle upon Tyne. And they also happen to have been and still are clients of ours. Now, Claire's role at Burnett's is the culmination of three successful careers. She started off as a project manager in BAE and then retrained to be a secondary education teacher uh, while she was raising her family before finally finding her niche in HR, where she's been able to pull on all of her experience of previous roles to provide a balanced and holistic perspective to both people and the business. Claire is passionate about improving employee engagement and wholeheartedly believes that this can be achieved by providing the best experience of well-being whilst enjoying a fulfilling role. So I am beyond excited to speak with Claire about just how she has gone about creating a culture of care within Burnett's and why she thinks this is something that all companies should be doing. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, Claire. I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you. You look scared. You shouldn't be scared. I won't bite. <laughs> you haven't seen the previous videos I've had to do for work, which always end up very wooden. Nah, no. Anyway, Claire, I know that all the well-being rebels listening to this are just going to learn loads from you. And this is the interview I'm most excited about doing because not just because I know you really well, but because I know what you're going to talk about really resonates and relates to the people who are listening, which is about how do we do this stuff practically? How do we make the workplace somewhere that, that people really want to be? How do we create a culture of care? Well, let's start by um, just explaining to everybody a little bit about you and Burnett's, the company that you work for, and just give us a flavor for for that. So tell us about Burnett's. Well, I, I'll start you just before Burnett's because um, I've had a bit of a weird sort of route into where I am now. And and I suppose how I approach things is very much a, a culmination of of all the different careers I've had, all the different experiences I've had. You know, I started for 10 years as a project manager for British Aerospace in a heavily male dominated, you know, industry. It was in, in defense and, um, you know, had to really battle my way through a lot of um, sort of poor behaviors there. And then once I had children, I retrained to became a secondary teacher and again, mm. had to learn a lot about teenager behavior and really start to understand that the way that they displayed their behavior in classrooms wasn't personal. It was often a reflection of 
other things that were going on in their lives. Um, and it was just purely an outlet for them. And um, eventually, when teaching sort of, you know, burnt me up and spit me out, uh, I tried to look for what what I really wanted to do. And I remember having a conversation with uh, some friends over dinner and, you know, they said, what, what do you want to do, Claire? And I said, I, I don't really know. I just want to get back into, into business. Uh, you know, I want to get back into the private sector because one of the, th- the really, really crushing things about working in the public sector is that you literally have no opportunity to influence any change whatsoever. You know, you are just a, a small ant in, in, a, in a world of, of bureaucracy. And uh, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm a real changer. I just want to change everything. And so I found that aspect of, of teaching really difficult. So uh, anyway, I, I just said, I want to get, I don't know what I want to do, but I like talking to people. And I was told very, no one's going to pay you just to talk to people. Well, he was Ooh. wrong because yeah. HR is all about talking to people and uh, about relationships and understanding what they need. And there's still very much a, a, a sort of big imposter syndrome going on with me because I don't, I haven't got any magic um, solution to any of this. I just, I just go at it, at what feels right to me and what I would like to receive or, or be on the receiving end of having, having had career, you know, two previous careers, which were, which were pretty unfulfilling for a lot of reasons. So that's kind of, uh, you know, how I ended up as head of people at Burnett's but I mean I'd had practiced HR in in another factory environment and um, again very male dominated so I just knew I wanted something different so I thought oh you know professional services solicitors that might be you know quite quite an interesting um, change and so um, when I went for my interview uh, I sat with um, Nick Guttridge who's the managing partner at the interview and two of the other partners that um, were there at the time and it was just it was it wasn't an interview it was a conversation a bit like this you know we literally just sat down and got to know each other and the more we talked the more I thought oh my god these are people I want to work with you know they they just are engaging they're interested in what I have to say they really want to listen to you know my ideas about things and so um you know thankfully I got the job there and then it's been pretty much like that ever since they they genuinely I mean any change in any organization can only happen if you've got senior management buy-in or senior leaders now the, the difference with a law firm is these these are the owners of the business and so they've got an even bigger vested interest to make sure it's right and yet the amount of trust that they have put in me and and the things and the ideas that I have suggested um ha, have been enormous and for me and I will always say first and foremost I am passionate about em- employee engagement about engagement I want people to come to work and love what they do I want them to enjoy it I want them to have fun because all of those things wrapped up will end up meaning that you know they'll work harder you get loyalty you get goodwill and you know it's it's a two-way process the more you give the more you get and so that's kind of been my agenda since I started with Burnett's is to to make sure that everybody feels valued and uh, everybody has the opportunity to be the best they can be. Don't know whether that answers your question. <laughs> it really does. But it then leads me to another one, because it sounds like Burnett's under 
uh, Nick's leadership um, was already a lovely place to work. It, it absolutely, it absolutely was. It's been, you know, it's been a family focused firm, um, you know, for a long time. And, and a lot of the things that they were doing were, um, were good. They just weren't very focused and they just needed to channel things. So a lot, I mean, one of the, one of the, I think it's just that the idea was that they had all these feelings of how they wanted to be. They just didn't know how to communicate it. So I think really probably what I've really been able to do is bridge that gap between where the partners wanted the firm to be and getting the the staff to understand that, you know, in a very tangible way. Um, I really wanted every employee to have a voice and understand that um, the partners were really interested in what they had to say. Because at the end of the day, the only people who really understand how to change, you know, their lives, their working lives that, that can make it that they enjoy coming to work and get the most out of it is is if they tell us how, how to do that. Um, and so really, I kind of flip things on its head and instead of it being very top-down communications I tried to make it bottom-up communications and so and and that was quite a big change um I'm you know they they were very used to there were a much much bigger partnership um I think when Nick originally joined them there was like 17 partners and they they had, had managed to distill that down to about nine when I joined and um and so they they were able to um they were able to sort of speak themselves with a little bit more of one voice to, to get across what they wanted. And then it was just a case of I had to um, try and put that into uh, into action, really. Um, and the first thing that I wanted to do um, was a survey, uh, you know, an engagement survey to find out where we were, because you need to know the, the position that you're starting at to know whether you've actually made any improvements or not. The biggest biggest problem I did have was I started literally one week into the first lockdown in 2020. And so, of course, there wasn't a single member of staff in the office. We were all working from home uh, and, and, and that was difficult. So in actual fact, we kind of struggled our way through that our, that first year. Uh, you know, we all all were working it out as we went along. And, and so it was the very beginning of 2021 that we did our engagement survey. And um the partners fully understood that if we were going to do this survey, there was literally no point in it unless we were prepared to take some of the actions and, and um, make changes. And I said, because when we come to ask them a second year to do this survey, they're not going to engage with it. So, I mean, we, we, we did a great job in the first year. We literally took the top top three things that were the biggest issues and we changed them. And so what were know, they? Um, they communication was one of the biggest issues. Um, so we put in, I put in, um, uh, like an app that, uh, it's like constant, it's, it's kind of like a mix between Facebook and LinkedIn. So it's a little bit more professional, mm-hmm. but you know, so there was like recognition shout outs and there was, um, you, you okay. know, constant real time information that everybody could access. Um, and that really helped people get to know each other across the offices as well. And we ran a we ran a feature called Team 10. 
And um, so every single member of staff, you know, over over a period of a year, uh, had to answer all these ten questions. And um, you know, it, it was it was fantastic, and other people could comment on it. And so and that went down really well. So so that was that was one sort of thing that we did. Um, there was there was some although it's not a, a motivator as such, it is a demotivator, and it was to do with the salary scales and and pay review and things like that. So I, st- I did a, a full um, salary benchmarking exercise. We had a big pay review. Um, there was a, a big issue about bonus and whether bonus was paid or wasn't paid. So we decided uh, it was my personal feeling that I, I really don't like bonus schemes. I find them divisive. I'd far rather pay people well for what they do. And if they've had you know good performance, then show that in a merit increase in their pay. And and I know that probably to all the HR people listening to this, they'll be saying, oh, no, you shouldn't do that, you know, because that then becomes a cumulative uh, pay increase. But at the end of the day, uh, it's worked for us and people um, people appreciate the fact that they are being uh, paid a good salary for what they do um, rather than having to work hard to get some discretionary bonus, which may or may not pay out, um, which just seemed to cause a huge amount of um, disgruntlement in, in certain uh, for certain people. Uh, what was the third thing? Oh, the third thing was was really about workload and well-being, to be honest. Um, and so that was when we really started to look at um, putting in a proper well-being strategy. And that was when, obviously, I first met you uh, and um, you, we, we, I think it was just on a, a webinar that you were doing through lockdown uh, about, you know, well-being and the well-being culture and things like that. And you had your your whole 360 um, process to look at. And I, I did that little review and uh, realized that we're, we were lacking in certain areas. And, and that was sort of the conversation. On top of the fact that, in actual fact, I, I could observe the f- fact that our line managers themselves some of them could deliver really good line management and others were absolutely hopeless at it and at the end of the day you know the people that are line managing these teams are are lawyers you know they're they've never been trained to manage and um so the the ones that did it well were the ones that had the sort of natural in you know instincts you know because at the end of the day being a good manager is just all about caring isn't it Uh, you know if it's a bit like being a parent, you know, you, you, you instinctively want to do what's right for your children, just as you, you instinctively want to do right for your team, make sure that they are as happy and productive and successful as they can be. So uh, that was when, obviously, you then told us about the um, transformational leadership program for senior lawyers. And that was obviously very interesting to us because it had a specific focus on the legal sector. And um, that was a big help for me in trying, you know, trying to sell it uh, to them as a, as something that is worth investing in. And um, I'll be honest, I was, you know, when we got actually started the program, I was slightly nervous that, um, you know, about what they were going to think. And they absolutely loved it. And all, you know, couldn't believe how much they got out of it. And it it has had a big impact, you know, on our 
our firm in so much that all our line managers now speaking the language of well-being they're looking at um staff well-being as a as um as being the central part of uh, what they're doing with their team and um it, it's kind of really just changed the language um in the organization which is which is really good i mean that is so heartwarming to hear but i guess the question is is it making the kind of difference that you were looking for or hoping for in terms of employee engagement, in terms of productivity, in terms of whatever it was you're looking for in this change in your corporate culture? Well, I can only really answer that question after our next survey, which will be <laughs> beginning of next year. But um, I would say early indications are, you know, when when you ask people about, um, you know, how, how do you think, things have changed they they just say you know it's a completely different place even though it was great beforehand um it, it it's different in so much you know we we've done a lot of increases in in other other benefits so we've increased occupational sick pay we've we've massively enhanced mater- maternity benefits you know paternity benefits we now give you know all the men four weeks paid fully paid leave uh, and they're coming back and saying, you know, that's just amazing. Uh, we've had, you know, several of our male members of staff have had babies and they've just said the difference of being able to spend that time, you know, with their, their you know, new family is is just, um, they, they, it's amazing and they really appreciate it. So it, it's, it's about, um, it, it, it's, it's not one thing, it's lots of things. But all of those things are coming from well-being and, and coming from uh, making sure that the staff understand that um, we truly value them and uh, we we genuinely care for them as well. And not just that, it's their families too. You know, we we um, one of the things we did, you know, following COVID was um, we gave private medical insurance to every single member of staff. And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in if you're going to give a benefit, give it to everybody, not just those people at the top or those senior people, because that really upsets me when, you know, those people lower down feel they're not as important. So, um, so that was another thing we did and we opened it up to family as well. So we said the employee could, could, you know, buy the same, uh, cover for their own family members uh you know at this discounted cost and quite a few people have done that and it's again made a big impact you know when i mean we're we're very heavily female dominated now so there's an awful lot of husbands out there a lot of them doing manual work we've had you know he knee operations shoulder operations elbows all sorts of things that have been done you know courtesy of the medical insurance that we've provided so um so this is all about, you know, providing this umbrella of care uh, for for not just the the employee, but also for all of their family as well. So. I love that umbrella of care. I mean, what a great expression. And you guys, I think, listening must understand why we, first of all, wanted to work with Burnett's, but why I've brought Claire on to talk about how you create a culture of care, because it just all sounds lovely but it also all sounds really expensive and that's something that um people 
often comment on uh, when I'm selling things like our TLP program or any of the services that we offer, they, they are struggling with budgets and struggling to justify spend. I have people working for much larger organizations uh, than Burnett's who, who have minuscule budgets, uh, 500 pounds for staff well-being for the year for a thousand or four, four, four thousand people. And I don't understand why organizations seem to think that that will cover it uh, other than they are completely ignorant of what actual well-being requires. So how do you, how did you guys come to the conclusion that this was an investment worth making? Um, that's a really good question. And, and I, 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 again, I don't really have a magic answer for anybody other than uh, I'm fortunate enough to work for a group of partners who do understand that investing in your staff, pro, you know, provides a return. I mean, I can tell you now, the private medical insurance we put in is is really not cheap at all. It's it's very expensive. We've paid obviously for your course, and um, it you know our we also gave uh, enhanced holidays as well, which could have had an impact on productivity, uh, and you know obviously um, you know bills that w- were put out because at the end of the day, you know solicitors bill by time. And you give people more holiday, potentially, you know, it could go down. And and in actual fact, the opposite has has happened. It, you know, you know, profits have gone up, or they've certainly not gone down. But billing has remained, you know, really buoyant. And so, I can't say anything other than, you know, you read it all the time that basically says if you invest in your staff you get the return and it, it, it's true at the end of the day because what you're getting or what you're buying is loyalty and goodwill um you know if you don't look after your staff they're going to come in at, at, at the time their allotted time and they're going to leave at their allotted time and they're probably going to leave half their brain on the doorstep because th- there is no vested interest for them to go the extra mile um so really what you're investing in is 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 loyalty retention and goodwill and you get back so much more than you put in it's it's exponential really um i think unfortunately i suppose in a lot of these sort of plcs and and other limited companies you're paying shareholders and and they don't necessarily see because they're not working necessarily in the organization themselves they don't see the impact of what they're paying for whereas because the partners are actually working in the firm they're directly seeing the impact of it and i think that's probably been the most powerful thing um you know they're sort of owner managers effectively um so you know it, it, it's a fantastic product for law firms because in the legal sector um the norm is just to sweat the asset and um you know work all hours god sends and god forbid if you don't and we have started you know getting 
some more senior uh, solicitors uh, actually approaching us and asking, you know, if there's, there's work with us because they they've heard through the grapevine uh, and through the networks that, you know, we we offer a good career slightly differently. And, you know, it, 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 it's becoming a bit of a USP for us that, you know, we it, we want people to have good careers and we want people to develop and grow, but we want them also to have a good work-life balance and enjoy their family and enjoy their life. Um, and so that's that's really, really quite a, a powerful message for us, um, you know, in terms of recruitment, which is incredibly difficult. You, the reason I'm so quiet, guys, is because Claire, you, you just you get it. I'm not having to correct anything or or persuade or any. You, you understand that the reason that there's been all this research and data and um, some might even call it propaganda or, about well-being is because it is true that if you can help your employees to feel and be their best, you will get the best out of them. But I think the the thing that people struggle with is, and, and perhaps it's because you didn't come from a traditional HR background, but the way I always think of it is that um, HR has, as a function, typically been um, one that hasn't necessarily asserted what the employee absolutely needs above other more functional things, right? So they've not been used to being listened to as much in the boardroom until the pandemic. Um, And so to be able to say, actually, we've got to turn this on its head a bit and invest, even though we are are perhaps struggling financially, we need to invest in our people in order to become more profitable and financially stable. Um, So how can you how could you encourage or recommend to your colleagues in other firms that they start to have this conversation either with their their partners or the EPs in their law firm or but if it was just any organization how can you make that argument that investing in your employees and their well-being is a financially savvy thing to do how can you make it more um, convincing to people who are perhaps looking at the bottom line. Well, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I think, I think the fact that you know, I, I said I didn't come through the normal HR route. Um, I think, unfortunately, when you look at a lot of HR, the way it's delivered in organisations, it's always a little bit, a little bit gentle, a little bit fluffy, and it's always a little bit kind of. Um, employee advocate based whereas you know my background I you know my initial degree was in business and engineering I then did a master's in business and so a lot of my background is is sort of commercially based and so I think when I have a conversation about these things it always comes from a commercial side and so I think they possibly listen to it better in the first instance for, for me, what I did was I started with I started with engagement and how if you've got an engaged employee, then, you know, this will lead to 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 extra profit, because at the end of the day, 
you know ultimately it, it depends what you know you know what your, your politics are i suppose as to whether a, a, a business is there to make profit or whether a business is there to employ people and 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 create jobs and i think both is true to be perfectly honest but um you you've got to speak the same language as the people who are listening because at the end of the day if you just go in and say oh this would be really nice for our employees they're not going to they're not going to go with it. It, it you've got to be able to sell it as a as a tangible return and i when i went into it i i probably did an awful lot of blagging i didn't have any tangible numbers and i couldn't give them any tangible numbers but i think i was probably so passionate in in the way that i i delivered it uh, about you know telling the story about why employee engagement is so important and you know what does it look like you can you can tell the story about you know there's only 11% of engaged employees in the UK and all of those sorts of things you know and talking about wanting to do things a little bit differently because the thing is once you've got them bought into the whole idea of engagement then well-being is is the next step to that because you, you then go in, into the story of, well, you can't really have an engaged employee unless they feel valued and they feel cared for. And and without even using the word well-being, you can just like introduce it and start to sort of, you know, break down those barriers because sometimes it's the language we use that can be off-putting. Um, and I think we're very guilty in HR of using too much, you know, jargon. You know, I could go in and say we need to create a psychologically safe environment and it would mean nothing to them. I know what it means, but, you know, it's about putting it in a language that these these people understand. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, that's probably how I got it over the line. You have to you have to eat the elephant one little bite at a time. Uh, now, I'm just disclaiming here that. Claire is not calling Nick Gutteridge an elephant. She's not. <laughs> but I appreciate the uh, the uh, metaphor. Um, I think that's just brilliant advice. You have to persuade people um, in a language that they understand. So there's no point in going to the CFO saying, it's just the right thing for us to do because people will feel better. It's an absolute waste of time. That's not what his concern is. So what is his primary concern and how can you meet that need? Uh, and whereas there was no data when you were doing it particularly, there was, but not a lot. Now there's wealth of information. Deloitte have published so many of these reports about the, the, uh, the cost and benefit analysis of well-being uh, interventions. It's, it, you've got it to hand. Mm. No, absolutely. And, and I think, I think having, um, having done the survey, I mean, we used um, Great Place to Work, uh, which I personally really like, because their, um, their metric is called the trust index, and it's measuring how much trust there is in the organisation between the, the managers and the employees and between the, you know, peers and all that sort of thing. Um, and I think, that was very tangible because after the first year they saw an increase. I think we had about a thirteen percent increase in the first year by the changes that we'd made. We'd made so they actually saw that there was a, you know, metrics are great for for, for being able to demonstrate something, 
And then the second year, it's always more difficult in the second year because you've got rid of all your, you've dealt with your low hanging fruit. Um, but we still got a, a 7% increase the next year. Um, you know, and as a result of that, we, we not only, uh, you know, got the accreditation for great place to work, but we also got um, a separate accreditation for being great place to work for women. Uh, and that was an unbelievable um, re recruitment um, help because, like I say, we're, we're, we're 75% females. I don't know why the legal world attracts so many females, but it does. Um, and, you know, people have actually commented in, in interviews about you say, why do you want to come and work at Burnett's? And so, well, you know, we saw that you were a great place to work for women. And, you, you know, so and then this year we also got an accreditation for being a great place to work in the consulting and professional services, you know, organization. So um, it, it kind of all of these things sort of build up a picture and it helps, you know, the next time you go and ask for some investment in something. Um, then then you're sort of building all you know on on the good results uh, that you get so that you need to start somewhere but it needs to be uh, sold in a language that um, these senior people understand I love this all of the stuff that you're saying is music to my ears it is exactly what we've been preaching for years and it's good to know that there are businesses out there who, who just get it. Mm. Um, before we go, I just wanted to ask you our final signature question, Claire, if yeah. that's okay. Oh, don't say that. You know I'll be nice <laughs> to you. Because I know that you are absolutely a fellow well-being rebel, I'm going to ask you this. If you had one wish one magic wand that you could wave and change something in the place of workplace well-being what would it be what's the one change you would make that one's dead easy i would get us all working a four-day week oh four-day week why because i'm not gonna lie most of the things that I, I i try to implement are things that i would quite like to do myself um <laughs> I, I know, honestly, it comes up on our survey every year as to, you know, what's the one thing you would change? It comes up four day week all the time. I think it's really, um, I look at Fridays at work and I mean, today's a Friday and I, I'm working from home. A lot, Most of the people are, are, are working from home, but I suspect that productivity is probably somewhat lower on a Monday, on a Friday, sorry. And I don't think it makes any difference really to our bottom line. It would be fantastic for people to have, um, you know, a, a break. I mean, obviously we couldn't just do Friday because we'd have to close the close the whole firm and then clients wouldn't have access to us. So it, that would that would be utopia if we could just have a, a longer weekend. But I don't know. I just think. I think it's the way the world is going. Um, I think it would be fantastic for well-being to, to work less. Uh, and it would give us so much more opportunity to, to do stuff outside of work that, that again, would, would help us all be happier people. Perfect note to end on. Who doesn't want to be a happier person? Thank <laughs> you so much, Claire. Um, I know that our audience will have benefited greatly from your experience and from you sharing um, 
all the things that have led up to you being a great place to work and a great place to work for women. Um, it's been a pleasure having you here. And I hope this interview wasn't as painful as you had feared. No, I probably talked too much, though. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. But thank you. Um, and Rebels, we'll catch you next time. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show note, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.